This episode of Business Inspires is brought to you by the Village of Marble Cliff. Small village, big thinking. Find everything you need at marblecliff.org. This is Business Inspires, a monthly podcast of the Tri-Village Chamber Partnership. To run a successful business, you need resources, valuable connections, and community recognition. Business Inspires will provide you with the tools, resources, and examples to inspire you to create the business you're envisioning. Hello, I'm Stephanie Evans, and I'm the Executive Director of the Tri-Village Chamber Partnership. In today's episode of Business Inspires, I'm talking with LaRae Schrader, owner of Schrader Law in Upper Arlington. Welcome, LaRae, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me as your guest. Um, Let's get started by talking a little bit about you, your background, and how you got where you are. So tell us about your path to becoming a lawyer and business owner. My path began really when I left Kenyon College. I wasn't sure which direction to take. I was an English and French major, and I knew I would go back for more, but I didn't know what. And I knew that you needed to want something with all your heart to really achieve it, especially graduate studies. That's a lot of time and a lot of money. So I think 90% or 95% in five years generally do something. And um, five years came and went, and I wasn't sure. I was working in business for a consulting company called Accenture and traveling extensively, and it just wasn't the right time for me to go back to school. And because I was enjoying my time in the business, I couldn't decide if I wanted an MBA or something else, like a degree in public policy. But through my assignments after leaving um, the consulting company, I started working directly in financial services. And I had the chance to work with our in-house attorneys at a big insurance company in Des Moines. And that was really when I thought, I could see myself doing that. I could see myself as an attorney, consulting with other people and influencing them. They come to you with business problems and you have to go research the answer and write about it and then move on. And you never know what's going to walk in your office next. And so I began to explore the LSAT entrance exam that was required and set my sights on that. About the time my husband and I decided it was right to move back to Columbus, Ohio, where we had family. And I thought, oh, great, I'll wait and go to Ohio State. And maybe that would be a good opportunity for Mm -hmm. me to leave business. But at this point, nine years had elapsed since I was um, an undergraduate and I was finally getting ready. I took um, a prep class for the LSAT, and then things started to change quickly. So my grandparents needed care, and I was really happy to step in for them because they had helped raise me, and they were at a time when they needed help. And then my husband had some health issues, and I continued to work full-time, and actually enrolling seemed to get farther and farther away. So nine years after I decided law school was right for me, which was 19 years total, I had the chance to enroll as a student, and... um, Night school became my only option because I wasn't able, given the other life changes, to quit and and be a student full-time. That was a luxury I had as an undergraduate that I knew I wasn't going to have as a law student if that was indeed the path that I was going to follow. So Capital Law School, Capital University Law School, um, offered the only part-time program in Columbus, which made my application process pretty simple. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was Capital. And um, so I enrolled in 2014 in their night program. That's a long time. <laughs> That's <laughs> a, a really long time. Long time. <laughs> Nineteen years, and so um, from the time that you decided you want to go, you wanted to go to law school. It was still another nine years. Like it took you nine years or so to to figure that out, and then it was still another nine years later. Yeah, I joke that life got in the way, and I'm it does right. It just does. I wasn't the only student in our night program that um, had had a few things interrupt their their 
path, but I was one of the older students <laughs> in the class. And as I, as I started, I was just a few days shy of my 39th birthday. And I think the statistics said there were like 6% of the law student uh, applicant pool that's generally over 30 or 35. And so I was definitely in the minority. I was a non-traditional student and in many ways that became an advantage, but I also recognized that it wasn't too late. You know, even though I felt at the ripe right. old age of, you know, almost 39, it still, it still seemed like I would have a lifetime of um, application and I was eager to learn again. So as I left my full-time job, sometimes people would say to me in the elevator, oh, do you have to go to school tonight? And I said, no, I get to go to school tonight. So yeah, you was, get to, not have to. Yeah, yeah, it was one of my strategic advantages because I really, really wanted to be there. And just like other students, I didn't know what it would be like once I got there. I had done my homework. I thought I knew mm-hmm. that it would be a good fit, but it was. And because I wanted it so much, um, it was part of the propellant that fueled me to stay up late and burn the midnight oil and do whatever it took to... Um, to not let anyone down at work, but to also not let myself down because this was my one shot. So, um, as I'd mentioned, um, life got in the way and I knew that part-time was the only option. And this was really something that I knew I could take it semester by semester. And I entered with that mindset and things stayed calm enough in my life with work and with my family that I was able to stitch together all of the semesters that I needed year round for four mm-hmm. years. But um, I was in a very different situation than some of my peers that um, were day students because they, in some cases, didn't have a clear path leaving undergraduate and they chose law school because they weren't sure what else to do. Um, I made a very concerted um, effort and choice to pursue mm-hmm. it vigorously. Right. I do think that um, sometimes that little gap between undergrad and grad school does give you some clarity and, and having worked a little and have that sort of professional experience makes you a more motivated student when you go back, whether it's um, um, evening or, or day, you know, traditional or non-traditional, that extra um, that drive and, and understanding of yourself about what you want. Now, you having um, maybe more than the average student has in terms of the number of years between undergrad and graduate school just um, sort of accentuates that and how, how determined you were. Given the time difference, technology had changed so much. So as I was just leaving Kenyan, right. internet had just um, become an issue. We had had email for a few years when I was an undergraduate, but basic email is very different than having a website about any company or topic that you would ever care to research. And so that was one of the things that I noticed with the gap of time is that the ability to do research and my preferences for even taking notes by hand versus using a laptop. Um, I was comfortable with a computer because of my, my day job, but I also know that I didn't have the same routines and habits built around technology as a student, as, as many of my peers. And so that was something I needed to find my, my way. And I also joked when, um, I realized that one of my peers had a, um, he was almost as old as my Yahoo email address, right? <laughs> like, oh, that moment when, right? That moment when you realize, wow, like oh, oh, you're, yeah. you're barely over 20 and I have an email address that's like 19 years old. Wow. Okay, great. Um, and I, I embrace those differences yeah, and I kind of laughed you. about it, right? Yeah, you have to, right? Otherwise you could feel intimidated, I think, um, mm-hmm. with technology and, and the age difference. I um, distinctly recall one class situation we were working with, um, some of the students, the medical students that were just finishing up at Grant 
um, hospital and they wanted to learn about how to be deposed as expert witnesses. And so we needed practice giving depositions and, and taking them and um, defending them. So one of the fact patterns had to do with erectile dysfunction. And I made a joke about Bob Dole that no one in the room got except, <laughs> of course, the professor, because Bob Dole made it okay to talk about. And I distinctly remember that. But Bob Dole wasn't, right, um, a household name necessarily for my classmates. And so that was one of the moments when I remembered like, wait, I have to stop and remember context and I need to make sure people follow the journey with me. And it doesn't do anyone any good if I make a reference to, you know, Someone they don't know who it is. That doesn't yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so every so now and funny. again, it would come up, but, uh, but usually it's something that we could laugh about and yeah. move on. And that sometimes I was able to help students and they were able to help me in unexpected ways. Because right. Of the differences. I bet. I bet probably an appreciation, you know, both ways. So one of the things I'm always curious to know is how childhood dreams play out in, in the present. So I know you said you majored in undergrad in English and French, right? Um, but thinking back even before that, when you were a little kid, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? And how do you think that plays out now with what you're doing? I didn't know. And it's, it's tough because some people do set their sights on a singular goal and they work toward it every day. And I guess I have always felt that I, as long as I'm making progress, um, sometimes you take a step forward and it's with your left foot and sometimes it's forward and up with your right foot. And you just never know. But as long as I'm making progress and momentum and it's upward, I've always been okay with it because I feel like everything that I've done in the past is preparing me something for something new and unique. Mm -hmm. And I never know what next step that will be. But as a young girl... Um, I grew up in rural Ohio and I lived with my grandparents early on. And the one vision that I always had was going to college because that was just a non-negotiable. And the family worked hard to make sure that would happen. Finances were tight and my grandfather was a coal miner um, and a disabled veteran from the war. And so um, they prioritized buying books for us and sacrifice so that we could have some music lessons and some of the extra things because they also recognized that just the classroom wasn't sufficient and they worked hard to supplement our learning through hands-on planting a garden. I went with them any place that we could go with my grandparents and helped as a caregiver for my great grandfather and, and others in the family. And so that was the one thing that was crystal clear is that I would go to college and um, take advantage of educational opportunities that weren't available to them. My grandfather didn't finish high school and um, my mother I think she and her sister were the only two on their entire bus route that had the chance to go to college. And even my mom took some time um, and, and did it after she had us. I remember attending her college graduation and thinking it was really neat and something that I needed to do. What a great so example. She worked hard to finish it, and so I knew I had to do it as well. But I didn't know in what ways I would apply my college degree and that really took some time for me to figure out. I went to Kenyan thinking French was a good possibility because I was really inspired by the classes that I took as a high school student. Um, but then I took a, an English class my first semester and I loved it. So I took another one the second year and I loved, I loved it. Um, American literature, tearing apart Huck Finn and what it could mean about today and analyzing what it means, um, all the different themes about um, race and gender and the, the learnings that are still very much present. And so therefore, I, I just had to figure out what I was going to do. The other dream I had was to own a house. And so I left college um, hoping I would have a degree and a house within five years. And I only ended up saving enough for a house and not as we talked about getting back to college, but um, I saved every dime when I started working 
and ended up buying a small home in Beechwold that was um, like 911 square feet. But having lived, sharing a home with my grandparents, um, we had bunk beds in the dining room and like whatever it took to get by. And then we moved out and rented our own little place, but for years had an apartment and a shared bedroom. And so I, we weren't able to paint the walls or do anything. You have a landlord. <laughs> they want to make sure <laughs> you keep things neutral. And I remember thinking how neat it would be to be able to plant bulbs and, and paint. And so that's what was a, a priority for me. And that was really the goal that I set my sights on even more so than um, career goal. I knew I had to have a strong career, um, in order to achieve those other personal goals. And that's what happened. I also knew at the time I had to have health insurance and I had to have enough to pay back my student loans. So I wasn't at liberty to go work for a nonprofit and just save the world, even though that was inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, I needed to take care of myself. And at the time, uh, health insurance wasn't an option after you graduate. You had insurance only until the day you were no longer right. a full-time student. The flexibility of being covered on mom and dad's plan until you were 26 didn't exist. Um, and I've seen that really open up possibilities for students as they're leaving undergraduate, you know, in ways that I didn't have. Not to laugh that it's uphill both ways, but it was mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. in some instances because that was an inhibitor. Uh, having benefits really mattered to me. I saw that as crucial to being able to break the the cycle of um, of independence. Right, right. So it sounds like it was more about the, the the dream that you had as a child to be a college graduate and it's sort of the goals you set for yourself more than what you actually want to be when you grow up. That's right. right. My gosh, your, your love of reading. I mean, I, I can see how that plays into your ultimate desire to be a law student because there's a little bit of reading to go with law school, right? Uh, a few thousand <laughs> just, pages just a semester. A, little. <laughs> a few thousand pages, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. I did spend some time trying to decide between an MBA and a law degree. And I really struggled with that decision because I was in business and I thought uh, an MBA would be the logical choice. I looked around um, my colleagues at financial services companies and many of them had MBAs and I knew I didn't want to practice like the attorneys on law and order, right? That mm-hmm. was the, the mm-hmm. vision I had in my head and I didn't have a full appreciation for the other ways I could use it. Um, as I mentioned, seeing some of the in-house attorneys was one, one way that seemed appealing, but I really wanted to make sure Um, and so I spent some time talking to other attorneys and they didn't all encourage me because especially after the 2008 financial crisis, um, recruiting for, for, for for law students really took a hit that it hasn't completely recovered. And some said, really, like, it's a lot of time and money. Like, I think you could find other ways to do it, but I ended up asking people how they spent their day and what kinds of research questions did they have and what did they produce at the end for their client. And it was so focused on writing that I felt that that was a better fit for me than Mm -hmm. um, building PowerPoint slides about org structure and Mm -hmm. other high level changes that um, I was into the details and words were my mode of operating and my tools and words seemed to lend itself more to a law degree, more so than, than an MBA. Right. I can see that. Um, So let's shift a little bit because I want to talk about the kind of law that you do. And I think that ties into your experience growing up as well and your grandparents, right? Because you, you just mentioned that your, your first uh, thoughts about law school were when you met people in the financial advising world, right? That's kind of sort of shifted, right? I mean, there's, that probably plays into a little bit of what you do, but um, it's elder law, right? It is. So I remember as a prospective student at, at Capitol, one of the um, deans who was 
attending or facilitating um, a, a day for, for new students to help make their decision. He asked if, you know, any of us in the room had an idea of how we wanted to apply our law degree once we earned it, if we did indeed enroll at Capital. And I said, I have some ideas, but I'm open to inspiration. And I meant that because there were so many things that law school would expose to me that I needed to also go expose, right? I needed to look under all the rocks that it made available. But um, I assumed I would do something in the corporate law space because it would be a way to do what I'd always done, which is use one foot in the world that I was already in and let me take another foot right ahead into a new venture. And so I thought, why not build upon you know an area where I already have some expertise? But as I continued to learn about myself and I continued to explore those other areas, I was an extern for two different judges in law school. I did mock trial. I wanted to make sure that I had explored everything so that when I did decide, I knew with confidence that it was an informed decision. And so that's really how I saw it. I thought I knew, but I had to test those theories and I ended up being open to inspiration. And my tax professor, um, encouraged me to meet one of his former students. He said, if you have an interest in elder law and estate planning, he's like, there's someone I want you to meet. And so I did in fact meet a local practitioner, um, who said, I meet with clients every day. And I knew that was one difference. Um, most of the attorneys who are dealing with, um, outside law or outside companies that come to them for assistance, like they might get a call from the client in the morning and then they spend all day or all week researching that problem. On the other hand, this attorney is a local practitioner. He said, I see people every day, all day in my office or at the nursing home, or I'm in front of people all the time. And I knew that was an aspect that I was looking for. I wanted to collaborate. I wanted to feel like I was giving back and helping. Um, I had a job. I had a way to eat. I went to law school because I wanted to do something different with my mind and do something different to help people. And so that stuck with me. And I continued to meet with him once a year during my four-year mm -hmm. journey. And um, when I got out, I wasn't in a... Um, in a situation where I could just quit my job and be a brand new attorney, it was going to be a big adjustment for my family for benefits and everything. But the chance to open my own practice was available to me if I continued in my job at Nationwide in marketing research. And so to help me make that transition, I did. Because if I were representing couples during divorce or criminal law or some of these other things, I would need to be in the courthouse every day. But if I built upon the experience that I had earned um, in helping care for my grandparents, then I could help people during nights and weekends. And I could also um, maintain what I needed to do um, day to day, which was carry the benefits until I could make a full transition. And that has worked really well. It also felt more natural to me. Again, back when mm -hmm. I was making the same decision about MBA versus law degree, it was a similar you know, struggle. Okay what feels like the right path, what builds upon what I've already learned and what will um, not feel like work. What will right. I be able to throw myself at with the same vigor um, that I, you know, what, in, what inspires you to stay up at night at till 2am reading or doing. And honestly, right now it's researching things to help these families. And I get to see people on a daily basis um, who need, who need guidance. And that has been um, fueling me as I've mm -hmm. made the transition. I feel like that was one of the things that struck me when I first met you is your passion um, for that particular kind of work with the elderly. Um, and, and I know it ties to your grandparents and your own personal experience to know that there's such a personal aspect of it for you and that you're carrying that over to help other people, I think is really meaningful and, and people will value that so much. Um, it is even and it's an, it's, the world is the, the world of that Medicare Medicaid. It's all changing what, daily. <laughs> right. um, so to stay on top of that 
What a task. So even before I entered law school, I had worked with the VA, the Veterans Administration, um, to help my grandfather navigate that system because, as I mentioned, he was, um, he was crippled in the Battle of the Bulge and um, spent most of his life receiving very, very limited assistance because he was too proud and he went on to find a job. But the time came when his limp was no longer just a limp, but it was you know a few legs that didn't work at all, and he needed a wheelchair, and then he needed an electric wheelchair, and then we had no way to transport him. And so the, the needs increased, and I, I remember feeling not so intimidated by that um, sea of paperwork and deadlines and and requirements. And I was able to help him with that. And so as I began to think about what would be a good option for me, being able to help people navigate some government bureaucracy as it's perceived was okay. It was something I was willing to take on and a challenge that I knew if I had done it, even without the credentials, um, (laughs) that I would certainly be able to do it once I became um, better schooled in how to help people. And so we were able to, to get a wheelchair lift van for him that made a big difference in his life. And for my grandmother who ended up with Parkinson's and later Alzheimer's as well. And having had that experience, advocating for them in such a way made me feel like I could do it. I had always knew I would in some capacity. I never imagined even after I started law school, I didn't originally think that that would become my full-time focus, but, but it has. And I think, again, um, I, I see that as a choice and not something that I'm just going to do on the side as a volunteer opportunity, but something that I'm going to really throw myself at, at doing. So with my grandmother, um, there was a situation where Medicare said, hey, we no longer want to provide physical therapy because you're not making progress toward your goals. She had a degenerative disease and and physical therapy actually helped sustain her levels of being able to transfer, being able to, to change her own clothing and help with the activities of daily living. And so the law had changed and the agency providing care to her didn't realize that the law had changed with a court case. And actually we were able to you know, appeal that to an administrative law judge and say, look, even if someone has a degenerative issue and they're not making progress, so to speak, getting back to their old self, like you can still provide Medicare based services to help them through therapy. And we won, you know, mm-hmm. so our family really said like, let's do this. This is the right thing. Let's advocate for her. And so the fact that I was part of that process, like even before law school, I always knew in the back of my mind that I could do it and I wouldn't be intimidated by that. Mm-hmm. And so having some additional tools about how to take on the system and fight for the people who need it, um, really just became more and more clear that that was in fact the right place for me. Right. Well, just hearing you talk about it, I so know it's the right place for you. (laughs) It is. And I think that um, having that personal experience as hard as it is to, to live through um, those experiences with the folks that we love um, gives you a degree of empathy um, and sort of walk that walk. You, you know what it's like and um, that, that makes you special for the folks that you're going to be helping. So, um, you know, for it's, it's a little personal for me too. Um, so, um, thank you for what you're doing, but because, um, it's not an easy place to be when your parents and grandparents, the folks that you love are experiencing that and to have someone there to help them. Who's, uh, who's got their back is really meaningful. So thank you for the work you do. You're welcome. My pleasure. (laughs) Um, so let's shift a, a minute again, because, um, so we, now we know kind of um, how, how you got where you are and, and why you are where you are. Um, so we, with, with your business, you, so I want to talk about the business. You're, you're um, still employed full time and um, growing your law business with the goal of 
making that transition, right? So what are you doing to promote your business and how are you getting the word out about you and what you're doing? So I earned my law license in 2018, in November, and then early this year in 2019, I started my LLC. And it's interesting, other people are going to the state lists to find me and other small business owners that they want to solicit to. So that was one way that surprised me is just doing nothing was one way that I have been found, but I know that is not sufficient. Um, I, I have hung my own shingle. So I, I originally started by seeing clients at home. Um, at their homes, especially my homebound clients. And that was helpful on nights and weekends. I could spend time. Um, my first client in particular was already homebound. And on Sunday afternoons, uh, till we had his estate plan put together and he had his peace of mind, I would, um, I would show up and we would work, um, in his living room beside his hospital bed until we had all the papers we needed for him to, to die with the peace of mind that he needed. Um, and he did in fact already pass away. So that was hard to lose clients. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning that journey. Yeah. That's hard. He was a big advocate for me. And he has started already through word of mouth before he passed away to tell others about me and how much I was able to help him. And I think it all started when he called me one day to say, I want to talk business. I said, what? He was my neighbor. So I didn't expect it. And he said, I I, I want to make sure that some investments I have go to my son. I want you to redo my will. And I said, well, there's some other ways to do it. You don't have to pay me or anyone else to redo your will. Let's do it. And he was so impressed with my candor um, that, that he did, in fact, hire me then to do some additional things to help him and his wife. And that word of mouth has really carried me, not just from that first client, but from others. I also have had support from other local businesses here in um, in the area. So Upper Arlington, I work with a local bank and um, have been referred by other financial planners um, because a lot of times when people sit down to plan for their futures, the way I like to talk about it as a financial planner or advisor can help build the future along with the CPA. And my job is to help them protect it. And so I've partnered with other businesses to say, when you um, have folks come with need, like there are some things that only an attorney can do to further assist them. And so I have worked to find those people with whom um, I can also send referrals when um, people come to me for things that they need that I, I'm not licensed to do. I'm not licensed mm-hmm. to sell you know, insurance or annuities or anything like that. I'm simply there to give them legal advice and legal instruments that can be enforceable upon their death or upon their disability. And so, um, I've also started social media, which is something that I I didn't, um, (laughs) grow up doing. And so that's been a little awkward for me to think, what would I have to say? That's interesting. Like, what should I say or post? Um, and so I've looked to others to help give me some ideas. And I've also attended some events here through the, the local chamber that have, given me some good ideas, not only how to build out my website, but also the kinds of things that I might want to post. And I've attended networking events because I find that other small business owners haven't always taken the um, steps that they need to plan for their for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's not just who else they know. Um, but I, like I said, word of mouth has, has, has started and I really do look for a more formal launch for my business. Well, I think that relationships, I mean, that's kind of what you were alluding to is, is really how, how things happen. And, um, you mentioned the chamber and some of the events that, that we host and that's really, you know, people want to do business with people they know and you, you, um, go to the networking events or the educational things to, to kind of grow yourself and, 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 uh, your skill set in terms of a website or whatever, but you, you, you make those contacts and end up with the referrals and, and, uh, may end up helping them themselves, um, 
So that's, you're doing all the right things, right? And it's happening. It just takes a while. It takes a, a while to build those relationships. And it does. Earn and people's trust. I'm also offering events about once a month at the Upper Arlington Public Library. Um, they have free space available to small businesses and others uh, on a first-come, first-served basis. And that's really been a chance for me to help educate the public as to um, potential gaps. I think there's a real risk in not knowing, but there's a bigger risk in thinking you know how the rules will work and what will happen mm-hmm. if something were to come to you unexpectedly or to a loved one. And so through those seminars, um, usually about two hours, um, we, we talk about that. What's a living will? How does it differ from a healthcare power of attorney? When is a power of attorney effective? And when is it not effective? Um, what do you mean I can't just go change the deed for my dad? He passed away yesterday. I have this deed or I have this power of attorney right. in my hand. Like It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> um, so those are the things that I'm able to educate them on. And then they're able to see my style, my level of detail. And I think it helps people know if they want to work with me. And I've had a really good success rate where people say, wow, I, I already have a will, but maybe I do have some gaps. Let's sit down. Or would you mind taking a look at what I've got? And so I'm happy to do those free consultations mm-hmm. to say, let's talk about your current needs. Um, let's see if if what you have documented reflects that. Sometimes they don't even know what's in their documents. They just um, really deferred a lot to their attorney to say, like, put in there what I need and I trust that the legal is it. that, right? Yeah. Right. So, and then once it's done, you just don't have to go back to it because it's not something you really want to think about. That's right. right? Death and dying is like right. the last no, thing people want to do. Not so much. So once it's done, it's done and in a drawer somewhere and, and just don't want to think about it anymore. But the problem I'm finding with that is the law changes. And so you might think that what you have still works. And even if you're still married to the same person and your kid is still the one to make the decisions for you, um, sometimes the law has you know, made something ineffective that you thought was squared away. And so I find that um, on average, 19 years is the amount of time. Studies show that people spend before they refresh their, um, their documents. And like I said, chances are their life has changed in that period of time. Right. But even if not, um, the law certainly has. Right. Well, and you were mentioning deeds too, like survivorship deeds, like, yeah, it's changed. <laughs> right? That's right. Right. Okay. Well, it does sound like you're doing all the right things. And, um, I want to know that, uh, or what, what you would say has been your biggest challenge so far in starting your business and, or maybe it's trying to balance, you know, work, family, well, at, at a time it was work, school, family. That seems like an amazing thing to try to balance. Um, but now that the school's out of the picture, um, what, what, what's your biggest challenge? The biggest challenge is wanting to make sure I don't let someone down. I want to give them the quality that I would expect. I want to do it in a, in a very efficient, effective way. And I want to, um, I want to be able to help more and more people. I feel like there's so many people still running around out there that don't know they're exposed. And so I feel like there are a lot of people that I want to get to and be able to help them regardless of, of the way in which they need help. And that's really for me what I stay up at night worrying about, or I should say what gets me out of bed in the morning mm-hmm. um, and and helps me keep going is that knowing that someone else is running around out there and I never know when the phone's going to ring, but I also know that it's part of my job to help find them. I guess I feel like part of my core mission when I really sat down and created my business was around education. And so I really love the fact that I don't charge by the hour, that it's a fixed flat amount generally for preparing legal instruments, depending on what they need. And that means I'm able to spend as much time as I need and they need in order to, to feel like we've accomplished everything that they need. And I really want them to walk out knowing what they have. And so I have them go through a little audit at the beginning when they come to me to say, do you have this kind of document? Do you have this kind of 
not document? Do you have someone that can make health decisions for you? Do you have somebody that can make financial decisions for you if you can? Do you have this? Do you have that? And a lot of times they don't know. And so then at the end, after we've completed a new estate plan for them, or we've applied for Medicaid, or we've done whatever we need to do, then um, I sit down with them again and we do the same set of questions. And I say, do you have someone that can make healthcare decisions for you if you can't? And they say with certainty, yes. Mm -hmm. And so I know that that's something that isn't necessary. Those documents that I prepared and I send them out the door are just as effective whether or not they know it. But I guess I feel like it's their peace of mind. And that's what I feel like I'm on this earth to help instill for them. And so that to me is worth the extra time. And if someone wants to change their mind, you know, we that's something I'll accommodate because, hey, wait a minute, you'd rather put this description in your um, power of attorney about when you want the plug to be pulled or versus this description. Like I've changed it, I don't know how many times sometimes, but it's so that people can really finally land at peace. And then also I, you know, reach out to my clients on a regular basis to say, Hey, the law has changed. I'm not sure if your plan still works for you or Hey, has anything in your life changed? Let's come talk about it or anything new that you're wondering. And so that's really, really where I've tried to focus is how to get more help. And as a business owner, the one thing I've struggled with too, is how to meet those needs. And it meant I had to take some risk in hiring, um, some folks to help me. So I have a part-time, uh, assistant and, she's great. And my goal is to be able to help not just be me because I can help more people, the more people, more things I'm willing to give up and not control myself. I also have two um, paralegals that help me on a part-time basis and I'm able to get more people uh, served and to do it in a way that they don't have to wait four months right for me to turn around a document. That's great. That was a risk, you know, in, in in trying to say, does it make sense to grow, but you have to take those risks and grow in order to really to grow. Right. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel like that's a great way to wrap up. Um, so as we do that, though, I want to um, well, I want to thank you for being here today, but I want to let our listeners know how to find you. So would you like to share your contact information? Certainly. My website is Schrader Law, L-L-C, S-C-H-R-A-E-D-E-R, Law, L-L-C.com. And my name is Laray, L-A-R-A-E. And you can also um, find on that website my phone number, um, I phone, text, whatever. I'm pretty available. <laughs> awesome. Lori, thank you so much. And congratulations. It sounds like you're growing already and um, you've just made some amazing accomplishments. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. Thanks for subscribing, downloading, and listening to Business Inspires, a monthly podcast of the Tri-Village Chamber Partnership. Our innovative and active chamber is successful because of our smart and engaged members who cultivate our strong business community. With more than 60 years as an integral part of the Grandview, Upper Arlington, and Marble Cliff communities, the Tri-Village Chamber Partnership is dedicated to a single purpose, the success of the business community. You can find a link to our website in the podcast notes to learn more about the Tri-Village Chamber Partnership. For information about this podcast, to schedule a guest appearance, or to find out more about sponsoring this podcast, our contact information is in the podcast notes. Make sure you rate and review our podcast on iTunes. That helps us spread the word about Business Inspires.